Welcome to the Future Political Leaders Podcast, where we discuss the next generation of political leadership. I'm your host, Noah Colleen, and today I'm so thrilled to be sitting down with State Representative Lorena Austin. Representative Austin is a rising star in her party and a trailblazer in her community. She's been a champion for social justice and environmental protection, and she's gained attention for bold leadership on issues such as healthcare and education. In this episode, we'll be discussing Representative Austin's background, her experience in politics, and her vision for the country. Representative Austin, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Noah, thank you so much for having me. Um, I think a future political leaders podcast is an incredibly wonderful idea because we need you all desperately. So I'm super excited to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much. And to start off, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in politics? Yeah, uh, it's a very interesting, uh, I like to say, you know, my journey has not been linear. It kind of looks like one of those detectives wall with all of the string and the pictures everywhere. Um, because I think, you know, you never know where life's going to take you. And to be quite honest, I'm not supposed to be here <laughs> this year. Um, I was applying to law school uh, when the idea of running came about. So that, that'll, that that's one story in the end. But um, how I kind of got into politics was... I think not just politics, but probably more community and showing up for your community was just always exemplified to me as a child and in my family on both sides. So I'm super lucky in that regard. So my mother's side, uh, my family, they were farm workers. So uh, my grandparents were farm workers. My mom tells me stories of, of working in the field in the summer and, and you know, didn't really realize that's, that they were actually you know, child laborers uh, during the summer. Uh, and however, my family always seemed to uh, thrive in any community that they were part of, you know, my, my great grandfather, my, my mother's grandfather uh, was the lead foreman and was always advocating even underground back in the day for workers' rights. Uh, my mom went on to be very active in the Chicano movement, the farm workers movement. They're from the Bay Area, they're from San Jose. And so that, that type of community activism has always been it exemplified to me. And then on my father's side in the district that I'm a part of and I represent, my father's family has been in Arizona since the 1860s. And then in our district for over hundred years. So in Mesa, which I represent uh, West Mesa and a little bit of Tempe, if you know the Phoenix metropolitan area. Uh, again, on that side, my grandparents owned a little tiendita, a little store in what's called the Washington Escobedo Park neighborhood, which was the segregated neighborhood of Mesa at the time. And so my father was born in a, into a segregated neighborhood um, and they had a little store, but they served everyone in the community. It didn't matter. So they served African-Americans, indigenous communities, um, obviously a large uh, Latina population here. And they were also well known for being community leaders. They helped change some blue code laws. Uh, which were just little civil laws here in the city so that they could, you know, advance their communities. And then my father would go on to the Bay Area. That's where my parents met. He became involved in the Chicano movement, um, both in independently, but he ended up going to Berkeley Law School because he got arrested at a rally and decided that he wouldn't get arrested again, you know, protesting for his community. So uh, he ended up going to Berkeley Law and then came back to Mesa where I was born and just has done a lot for our community. So he helped create the Mesa Association of Hispanic Citizens, East by Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, and just has been very active. So I've grown up kind of around these roles. Um, uh -oh, I hope there's a call coming in. So I hope that didn't ruin anything. You're good. That's the other, that's the other part of being a legislator. Your phone goes <laughs> off all the time, no matter what. Um, 
And so, and so uh, again, that was exemplified to me, and, but that wasn't something that, you know, it's one thing to, to hear from your family. And while I've always been community activated and oriented, um, I never learned about my history in public school. So, you know, I, I came from a generation, I graduated back in 2006, maybe before you were born and from high school. And we weren't talking about the issues we're talking about today. You know, it was a very, I think, um, washed version of our history. And I thought, you know, probably MLK marched and we were all good, right? And it wasn't until years later um, in 2014, um, I had lived in St. Louis with my brother at that time. I came out um, uh, as queer and, and I just kind of found myself personally but in 2014, Michael Brown was, was shot by a police officer and killed in Ferguson, Missouri. And that was like 10, 15 minutes from where I lived. And that was my glass shattering moment to, to do something. Um, so I actually had dropped out of college five times before out of high school. Like, like I said, it's not linear. And uh, in 2014, after that happened, I decided that I needed to do something else um, aside from working, you know, restaurant jobs, which is totally fine. But I just thought I could do something more. So I came back to Mesa. Uh, where I live now and uh, enrolled in community college. A, a professor, a director there approached me and thought I had a degree, but I did it. And they immediately dragged me to the enrollment center, made me uh, enroll in classes and then gave me a job on campus. So uh, that was my gateway to a really fast track education. I became student body president at my community college here at Mesa Community College, sat on different boards with the district, ended up getting a full ride scholarship to Arizona State University where I studied in trans-border studies, so immigration policy and economy, which is very relevant to this state, obviously, and, and uh, just really thrived. And then COVID happened. So I was at graduating class of COVID, um, finally got my bachelor's 14 years later, and then just jumped into advocacy. So was helping with uh, COVID relief in indigenous communities up north. So we collected PPE, food, toiletries, and we took it every week because they had the highest rates of COVID uh, at the time and they weren't getting enough support. So that's where community comes in again. And then worked at the food banks and helped you know, 3000 cars a day, just collecting data and information. We just didn't really know what was going on, but people needed food and everything was shut down. So I was like, cool, okay, we're doing our thing. Things have finally settled, a little bit settled down. Um, in 2022, I was like, okay, I'll go to law school. And then someone called me in my community and said, hey, do you know that redistricting is happening? I was like, yeah, I know, but I'm really focused on this. And they said, well, Legislative District 9 has become a brand new district and it's literally where you live and where you're from and no one's from this community is running for this seat. People are literally moving out of crowded primaries in different parts of the state because there's no incumbents in this new district. And I just didn't think that was right. So I thought, well, I'll just, I'll try. I'd never even worked on a campaign before. And I thought if I didn't make it past a primary, I could go to law school still. And then I won my primary. And then I ended up winning with the most votes in the district. So I'm not in law school and I'm here. So sometimes doors open and you have to walk through them. Um, and that's what I mean by, you know, if you had asked me literally a year ago, I would have told you there's no way I would be a legislator. And here we are. Wow, that is far from linear. <laughs> You're right. That's that's so inspiring. Um, but, you know, with such a different and unique path there had to have been some challenges so like what have been some of the biggest challenges you faced and especially as a young oh, woman did I lose you there Noah sorry no you're all good I could hear you well okay I didn't hear what you said so 
go ahead again. Sorry. Sure. Yeah. No. So, um, as a as an advocate, what have been the biggest challenges you face, as especially as a young woman in politics? Um, I think you know. I think you know. Like I said, I identify as you know queer and non-binary, and I think what I thought would be most difficult. And sometimes it was, was, was knocking on doors and knowing that, I mean, if you know kind of just my district and community, I don't think anyone ever thought a queer brown person would be elected in this district. And you really, I really had to know my stuff. You know, I knocked doors and I knock persuasion doors. You don't, as candidates, you don't really knock doors that you know people are gonna vote for you. You have to go persuade people. So, you know, there's a lot of data around um, what doors you knock it and, and voters and, their voting history and things of the like. So I knew I checked off boxes for people, you know, if they open their door and they might see someone that normally would never be on their doorstep. Um, but you really have to have that confidence in who you are genuinely, because once we started talking and they got over the fact that I have like full sleeve tattoos and uh, might not look like your typical candidate that I knew the issues and I knew my community. I think that was most important is that I'd already been involved in my community. And if anyone was to ask me, you know, what should I do? I want to run for office. I think people are not, they're not looking for polished politicians anymore. They don't care if you went to an Ivy League because that hasn't necessarily worked for them. They're looking for people who they can relate to, who have real stories and real experiences. And so once we started talking about the issues and they realized that, you know, I was actually from here and I knew my community, it was just such, it was such an easy um, avenue to get to talk to them about issues that were important. And also, like you said, you know, being a nonpartisan, um, we have a lot of independence in my district. And so I understand that though. Again, that kind of comes with the territory of knowing your district. So I already know we're not going to agree on anything, but it's that collaboration and communication piece of where can we find that middle ground? And most most of the times we care about the same exact things. We just have a different life experience and different opinions on how to get there. Definitely. Yeah. And now you talk a lot about um, how you really want politicians to find their passion within their own community and be able to be there for their constituents. But from your experience of working in politics and running campaigns, what is one thing you want to see change in the future of politics? Ooh, um, I think money, you know, money is a real driver and who's allowed to be there. Like even at the legislature, I only make 24,000 a year. And mm -hmm. as a young person, I, I had to quit my job at the community college where I worked at, I was a student government advisor because I can't be a public official and work for a public institution. Yeah. So I wish that rule would change because that makes sense of why, you know, there's only certain people that get to go to the legislature. You either have a lot of money, you know, or you might be retired with a second income. So it's, it, it is really difficult. So I wish, I wish money wasn't a barrier. And even with fundraising, you know, I had to fundraise over $200,000 to win my race. And so when you think of that too, no wonder it looks the way it does the legislature. You know, again, I think the stars kind of align for me and I'm really fortunate and I'm grateful for that, but you know, that's not the case for everyone else. And so I wish it was more equitable. I wish our legislature looked more like the communities that they serve. Um, and unfortunately that's, that's not necessarily how it works. I think, you know, it's getting a little bit better, um, but I wish that was something we could change about politics. Yeah, definitely. Money is just such a driver. Even like you said, elections is the biggest thing as well. We saw that in the midterms and even in the general elections as well. That, that's such a, a factor. But um, I kind of want to change the topic a little bit to now talk sure. about the future of politicians. And that's the new new generations, especially Generation Z. 
where you know that we're taking such a bold stance in the political realm today. So what advice would you give to young people who are interested in pursuing a career in politics? Uh, Y'all are so great. I really, because I did went to, I went to school later, right? So I just graduated in, in 2020 with a lot of young people. And I think what I love about your generation is how empathetic you are. Um, you're really community driven, I believe. I think you have a lot of access to information and you're really unapologetic. So I, I think keeping that is very important. And I think understanding how powerful your voice is collectively is so great. And even individually, it doesn't have to be collectively. But I think um, advice is get as much experience as you can. Like this is great. I mean, what are you in high school? Yeah, I'm a senior in high school. I'm like, wow. So that's amazing. So I think a lot of you are all already doing um, a really good job. But I think it's just getting that more experience. Um, sit on a board on a, on your on a in in your city or your town. There's a ton of boards that have a, a ton of vacancies, and it's you don't have to run for it. You don't have to pay for it. Um, but I think it's really valuable to understand the system. You have to know how the system works if you're gonna change it. But you need players in every arena, right? So you need the people that are voicing their opinions very loudly, like you need that public voice and you need that legislative power, right? Or understanding. So it's kind of this both and situation. So I know, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, the system's corrupt, it's corrupt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I can agree with that. But that's our reality, right? So I would knock at doors and people, you know, are ready to be like, well, I'm ready to throw, I don't, I don't want to go. Okay. Well in the next 30 days, that's not going to happen. So, you know, we have these choices we have to make because the decisions we make literally impact every single thing we do kind of every day. Um, but a city is a really good way too to get involved because cities have a lot of, you know, power too over kind of the everyday things that people assume that I am in charge of. I'm not, it's actually at the local, local, local level at the city level. So I really encourage young people, um, if they can, seek out those boards and they will just really provide you a lot of understanding of structure and even just the rules that we abide by, like the Roberts rules, Mason's rules. We use Mason's rules at the House of Representatives here in Arizona. So I think that's kind of my, my biggest piece of advice. And also know what you're talking about. I think it's really easy to want to be a part of something and go advocate. Again, we need that voice, that loud voice. Um, but also when if you understand what you're talking about, you can get a lot farther with people. Definitely. I love that so much. I agree. I always tell people like go out for Goodyear City Council, which is what we have like opportunities like that around us. Yeah. Um, but I do kind of want to throw a little bit of a curveball of a question. So sure. I might like throw you off, but I just have to ask you since sure. your your perspective has to be so unique on this. Um, as you may understand and what we see on our end with our mission of assisting students and finding their voices in politics, there are many Americans that view the term politician pessimistically. Uh, do you have a different outlook on this term due to your year in office or in your experience running elections? Um, I don't blame them <laughs> at all. It doesn't, it doesn't frighten me. And I think what it is for me, I wanted to be a bridge. You know, I didn't, I, my point is not to make anyone be part of a political party because you have to understand that sometimes they don't show up for your community. Um, I've been very open about that and I want to change that. I think a politician is supposed to be a bridge. When I think of that, and what I mean by that is there's resources owed to communities that they can have that they don't know about. Because I think a lot of people think they don't belong in government. They don't think we're going to do anything. We don't give a damn. Um, so I think it's, 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 it's multifaceted, right? 
I think my job is to come back out to my community. So I try to go to all community events. I'm going to start door knocking soon, not to be, not for another election, but to say, hey, I found out about these resources. You want to send your kid to summer camp for city camp this summer. Do you know you need to apply for a scholarship now? If you wait until the end of school year, it's too late, like that type of thing. Um, I want to reframe what, what that looks like. And then also too, I think just the general public might not completely understand how, how it works, at least in my role at the legislature, because two, I'm not in the majority party, right? I'm a Democrat mm -hmm. and we're, we're so close. We're only two away from flipping, one from tying. So, however, that means that the things that, and I didn't promise people, I did this on purpose. This is a, a tip. Don't promise people, especially if you're not in the majority, this is what I'm going to do for you. I said, if we get the majority, this is what I can do. So I would love to change housing policy that, you know, unties the hands of cities to create more affordable housing. Um, there's so many issues that we can do, but we're not even getting our bills heard through committees. So that's kind of like that reality piece, right, of, of letting people understand, you know, people can be angry with me or think that I'm not doing my job, but I, I can't do those things um, when we don't have the majority that's not willing to work with us right now. So I think just kind of understanding that too, um, that piece. But again, that, I think that's part of my job too, to relay that information and help people understand a little bit better. And so I have a, I have a, you know, a different outlook now, uh, a little bit about a politician, especially if you're in a minority party, <laughs> um, it's a little bit difficult. So what can I do if I can't, you know, and I'm making, I'm trying to make headway. I'm really excited for next session. Now that I kind of got my feet wet, know what this session's been like, super excited to drop more bills that might be more bipartisan. Like you said, I'm really big into education and, and workforce development. And as a community college, former community college educator, that's so important to me. And I think that's something we could probably agree on. So it's being strategic too. And that's just the reality of it, right? So a lot of times we see, and you see it's so polarizing. And, and, at, and at the end of the day, we just have to be pragmatic and practical about what we can get done. And it's never gonna be perfect, but it's something. And I think that's very frustrating and I can understand that. But again, it's just kind of understanding more of how the system works. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, a lot of people see it as polarizing in the federal level, but they don't also see that state level polarization, that local level polarization going stemming straight from that small community as well. People don't see that at all, but it, it happens. And that's what causes it at the federal level. Definitely. So yeah. finally, I could totally see your passion through the throughout this whole interview. And to impart on one last bit of wisdom to our viewers, what is one aspect of your job that you've just loved? Oh, you know, I love bringing people to the Capitol because okay. I want them to feel like they belong there. So when student groups come, oh, I love showing them. And when you get, it's very special, you know, not everyone gets to go onto the, the chamber floor of the house and it never gets old to see the doors open for the first time and see people's like mouths just drop as they walk into this, this very, you know, important place. And that is my favorite part of bringing people that have never been, who might feel like, you know, this isn't their house. This is their house. It's literally theirs. It belongs to them. It doesn't belong to me, it belongs to the people. And so that is literally my favorite part. And um, um, so far is, is I really want everyone to know that, that this is, this is theirs and we answered to them. So it's really powerful to see that. And I, that's probably my favorite part. Definitely. I visited the national capital just a month ago. And I remember I was like walking through a small door to go to that main entryway. And I saw the top of it and I was like about to faint. So I completely understand. It's just the sure. history around you and those buildings is sure. just remarkable. Sure.
and and I hope too that it inspires change because it should change Mm -hmm. um and so and and that's why I like it because I I want people to understand that they can have an impact and they can have a voice and it's just it is it's it's it is a special place but it's also just a place that shouldn't be feared and uh, you should feel like your your voice is being heard Definitely. Well, such wise words, Representative Austin. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for taking your time with the Future Political Leaders podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, Noah. And you all, you know, keep going, don't stop, because I think I'm not going to, we're not going to save us. I'm not going to save us. You all are. So thank you. Perfect. And to our viewers, we'll see you back here for another episode.